All right, The Sopranos Podcast is back for Season 2, Episode 4, Naples University. Our men are in love to their mama, so playing a woman is not como se dice. It comes natural. This is a quote from Annalisa, a very interesting new character here in Season 2, Episode 4 of The Sopranos, entitled Commendatory. It was written by David Chase and directed by Tim Van Patten. A couple of hacks there, huh, boys? I have no idea. <laughs> Man, commendatory. This episode is definitely a standout for me. It's certainly one of the more unique Sopranos episodes ever. And I feel like we are now deep. It, it happened quickly. We are deep in season two. Things are happening. Things are moving. We got an interesting look here. And to sum it all up, the boys are going to Italy and there's some family drama back home. Mandatory first thoughts, Paul. First thought is it's very fun and intriguing to revisit because this is an episode when I first watched this show, probably around the time I was 20 years old, when I watched this season, this wasn't an episode that I, say, disliked, but I do think I saw it as sort of a dip or like filler. But there's a reason for that, because as I'm watching it now, what I'm noticing is, is that probably in much the same way I was as a young man frustrated watching this episode... The characters are frustrated at a kind of displacement. Mm. Carmela being separated from Tony, but also understanding that his presence brings up these issues in their marriage. As I think Jordan mentioned when we recorded the first episode of this season, she's starting to realize, I think, some of the compromises she's made and what the cost is. And of course, the guys going to Italy, how it's infused with all this uh, sense of home, of the source of it all. This is where our thing really begins where it comes from mm -hmm. not to mention that the godfather again comes in for some references yep and it's kind of a shit show nobody gets what they want everybody's frustrated and it does have a kind of fish out of water quality for our main characters so it adds up to an interesting episode as you said it is quite different mm. and i i love uh the actor who plays annalisa sophia milos i think she's perfectly cast i think their dynamic is very interesting and it's a, it is a different kind of episode. A lot of the other strands that we've been dealing with, they're not gone, but they're set aside. And we, we get to see these characters in this space. It kind of spreads out a bit. So mm. it's a fun episode. It's interesting. It's different. I love this episode. I feel I very, too. very passionately about it. And I'm already looking forward to the season two retrospective because I feel like this may compete for my season two favorite. I thought this was terrific. I love the way that this episode is structured, even if it, as Paul has kind of referenced, confoundingly dips the narrative into a different um, dramatic direction. Uh, stakes are significantly raised after the appearance of Richie Aprile in mm. Tootlefuckanoo, and then those stakes are kind of just put on hold because we have to do this thing in Italy now. And that is intentional, and it feels like a departure, but I think in this case, the departure is so worthwhile because the depths that we're able to, we, uh, to reach, uh, psychologically speaking, are just so good. And the commentary and the symbolism and the metaphor here are like the stuff of like philosopher and, you know, uh, psychiatrist wet dreams here. Like I'm really looking forward to just stripping the layers away on this one. It's, it's so good. I think the right characters get to go to Italy. They're like exactly who I wanted to spend more time with. <laughs> yes. Polly, Christopher, and Tony. And uh, as mentioned... The stuff that's going on at home with Carmela is so, so good that it ends up being one of my favorite Carmela episodes. It's crazy because I, I, we were talking about this in our kind of pre-show chat that this episode, when you think of it, commendatory, 
in its place in the whole show, the first thing you think of is, oh, the one where they go to Italy. Yet, I often found myself really emotionally gripping onto what was happening in Jersey. And that's mm -hmm. not at all to say I wasn't enjoying what was happening in Italy. I very much did. But yeah, as you said, as you both very well said, and I feel similarly to you, Jordan, that this is, uh, to me, my opinion here, this is when season two steps from like, oh, really good, and it's like now we're in Sopranos greatness. Now we're like really cooking with gas and, and things are interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I also find it funny that like in the season one episode where they kind of set the high stakes of the moment aside to go on a separate side journey. You didn't love it as much. It was a hit as a hit. And then this right, yeah. did. But the placement in the season matters, number one. Right. And number two, this is also a, a different thing. Yeah, and I you know, I kind of sense a tone for that. You know, I, I I really shit on a hit of his a hit as a hit when we did that deconstruction. Just because I liked Boca so much and I was just really interested with where we were going and then to have a his a hit follow that so late in the season. But this is fairly early. Yeah. Also but exactly. also I ultimately really like Commendatory a lot more than I like A Hit as a Hit mm -hmm. as an episode. I do too. In terms of bringing the show to an elevated place. I agree. And a fun thing about this episode to me too, and this is the last thing I'll say as an intro, as an Italian-American, there's such a fun playfulness with other people, I find, that get a kick out of Italians, the Italian-American thing, because we really see the difference in it. Because you see people like Tony, Tony Soprano and Paulie Walnuts and Silvio Dante, and Chris Moltisanti, and you're like, wow, those guys are really Italian. Like, when you think Italian as an American, like, that's the kind of person I envision. The track suits, the, the food, and the way they talk. And and then you, you see that it's like, it's its own thing. Yeah. They go to Italy, and they are so... Dis which is crazy, because the mob that in the their social sphere, they only associate with other Italians, and it's really kind of this in thing, and it's such a tight-knit family... They feel connected to the old country because of that, yet it's very different. It's not the culture they know, not the culture they were expecting. In It's a much grander way of looking at when somebody who is familiar with Italian culture says, the way you guys in America pronounce stuff, like, you know, if you said gabagool to an actual <laughs> right. Italian, I mean, from Italy, they're going to be like, what is gabagool? You mean capicola? Yeah. It's, a, it's like a totally different thing. <laughs> on, on that point, I want to mention, I'm kind of the Madagan in my own family, by the way, because um, I don't have as pronounced an accent as my family does. I'm from Long Island, and my parents have very pronounced Long Island accents, my father especially. And they brought me up saying things like managot for manicotti, yep. you know, regot for ricotta cheese. Mozzarella. Uh, but I didn't like the way that those words sounded, so <laughs> I pronounced them correctly. But when you're on Long Island and you pronounce those words correctly, even in a restaurant... The waiter or waitress will look at you like, ricotta, what the fuck did you just say? Yeah, yeah, So you yeah. actually have to say it the way that you were taught to say it by your Italian family. Right, yeah, yeah, that's the American way of saying it. And it's so funny because there are three different ways of saying it. There's like, there's the Italian-American way, ricotta. There's the American way, ricotta. Like, ricotta. Yeah. And then there's ricotta, yeah. which is the, the way the Italians would say it. It's three completely different pronunciations. Right. But anyway, that blending of cultures and that clash of Italian-American versus Italian-Italian is going to come into play in this episode. This episode contains a piece of vindication for me because I used to get... I'm not exactly sure why this is, why this distinction came up for me in my life. I did not know or understand anything about Sunday marinara sauce being called gravy. I think yeah. because my parents never did that. So right. I was regularly made fun of in high school for not understanding or appreciating that that is what it's called, even though gravy is not appetizing to me. Yeah. And 
and marinara and sauce is obviously. Mm. Um, so the vindication here, where Polly just gets fucking owned by these um, <laughs> Napo- these these Naples gangsters who think that Polly's a classless piece of shit, is really funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're also these are characters that presumably know some conversational Italian through their connections in their Italian American families, but the region, the accent, the speed and dexterity with which fluent Italian is spoken, they're completely lost. Forget it. Absolutely. So Yeah, very well said. So this episode doesn't have a traditional ABC structure like a lot of the episodes we've talked about. So I think we can kind of like just kind of go through this and know that we have like Jersey storyline and then we have a couple different things happening in Italy. But the episode starts with the guys in the back of the Bing trying to get a DVD player to work. More soprano struggle with technology. <laughs> well, this is how I knew from the jump that this was going to be an episode that was just going to elevate things because their difficulties with playing Godfather 2, the one in which we spend some time in Italy, the difficulties with them getting it to play on the DVD is metaphorically going to inform the rest of the episode. Yeah. How dexterously, how well are you going to be able to navigate the real Italy? About as well as needing a Brogan adjustment on your DVD player in the back room of the Bada Bing. That's how well you're going to do in Italy. Uh, to talk about that scene real quickly, I, I'll get killed by my wife if I don't mention that. her. Uh, the, I've talked at length about these quotes in the show that I say constantly, uh, you know, peppers and eggs, that's what I should have had, that kind of thing. <laughs> Veal Parmesan sandwich? sandwich. Fuck, fuck you. Yeah, right up there with those quotes for the D'Amato household is... The disc is in there. Uh, <laughs> I love. I love. <laughs> Chris is just getting frustrated. I think Big Pussy has a line: "Press eject." <laughs> very, uh, and one of the, well, the first thing we see is actually the FBI warning, which is fun. Yes. Um, yes. On the DVD, I think it's the only thing that works. And then Silvio, a little frustrated, yells at Polly, "Get out of the way!" And Polly, little acid. I don't think I've ever seen him snap at Silvio. He says, "Remember to say please." And what we're going to deal with is that respect and status are very important in this episode, particularly to Polly, who latches onto the commendatore signal. And I love what you said, Jordan. I hadn't thought of it that way about the the difficulty in getting Godfather 2 to work. Mm. And of course, what will be, to Tony's disappointment, a villa that is not as rustic as and beautiful as Don Chichi is. Um, oh, yeah. As well as in that sequence in Godfather 2, where it's a great scene where Vito gets his revenge on Ciccio. Ciccio is in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, Vito's uh, ally, um, Tomasino, is crippled by a gun by a shotgun wound. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony is dealing with these old timers, and it's much less clean. Um, as Jordan pointed out, the dealing with them is difficult. You know, the dealing with the older man in Italy, dealing with leaving Uncle Junior behind, these old timers, the, again, the wheelchair imagery, seem to point to a greater frustration in this episode. Well said, guys. We go into it. We then get this strange scene. We're not quite sure its importance at first, but it takes place in New York. We're getting New York radio, so we know we're in New York City. This family, very, uh, very funny. The way Sopranos, and I don't mean to quote Tony. I don't mean white like Caucasian, but the way the Sopranos portrays <laughs> just these kind of white bread families right. are very funny. And this is there's so many funny lines. The way the way these lines are delivered. This family waiting to get in. You act like this every Sunday, and every Sunday you say, you know, you know and then, uh, can we please lower the air conditioning? Uh, and uh, the father, not familiar with the instrument panel, and then, boom, hijacking. This uh, normal family is thrown into uh, abnormal circumstances, and um, as the family's 
driving away and they've had a really traumatic incident losing this new car and the dog runs down the street the man lets out a racial slur who else huh who else cut to tony soprano looking at a picture of the car that was just stolen Mm-hmm. thoughts on this sequence and uh i know we had a very interesting conversation in our pre-show i don't know if we want to get into it about like this car operation and how the mob operates and what we've what we see here i've never cared about what the mob is doing you know that that's actually been part of my enjoyment of a lot of these mob shows of the sopranos in particular where it's just like you know these people that they're killing or hurting or stealing from or whatever like it never really means anything to me because it always seems like they're either hurting the government which frankly i don't care about the government or like <laughs> other gangsters so i'm like okay fair game the only time i've ever felt bad on the show about what they were doing was in this season where we find out about the stock scam where yeah. they're going after like old folks on a fixed income and you're know, trying to push webistics on them right yeah um that has felt bad because then i was actually kind of able to see the victim here in this particular carjacking i really don't care about that family they make them so unlikable Um, so even in this moment i'm kind of happy that tony has their what is it a mercedes yeah you know fuck them i don't care but um you know the show does a really nice job with portraying the victims in a certain way where you're you don't feel bad about tony that may happen later Mm. with what's going on but for now it's all still in good fun Uh, And this was as well. Really smart here, by the way, to have that transition from the racial slur, who else, who else, to flash into Tony, because it it does show how, you know, crime is often diverted Mm. into, you know, having you think, well, it's always these minorities, it's always these people that come from oppressed communities, whatever, whatever, it's always them. In truth, it's usually someone else. Mm. And sometimes it goes all the way back around again to the government. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. The, The idea that, like, you know, nothing is as simple. This is a world... This carjacking, this street-level carjacking, that this family... This guy, if it were in modern times, this guy would go right on the internet and rant about the crime and, and how awful the city's becoming and the mayor needs to do more about this. This is a global car business. These cars are going to Italy and then to Eastern Europe somewhere. This is a massive thing. And so I think it's a very interesting way to show, as you mentioned earlier today before we started to hit the record button, Jordan, the mob is in everything. Or And by the mob, I don't just mean Italian La Cosa Nostra. I just mean organized crime in general. That's government agencies that participate in things like that. That's unofficial things. That's like, you know, Russians and, you know, all the other ethnic organized crime or groups. It's just, it's an interesting look. And I think, in, in a, as Paul mentioned early in season one, The Sopranos embraces the conversation on racism in a very playful way because it's just funny to see the scene that one could break down and say, well, he said the N-word there, and then, oh my God, they're showing these two black guys as in a stereotypical way hijacking a car. But the show does point out, like, look who's really pulling the strings here. It's Tony Soprano smiling, looking at the car. So I just think it's it's a fun, playful way to have handled that. I think that uh, when he says who else, it might actually point to what you're t- you guys are both talking about, about how this is everywhere. I, I, pres- I assume when Tony is talking a bit later about the Russians in Brooklyn, that's Russian organized crime guys mm. who have often been situated in places like Brighton Beach and so forth. And yeah, I mean, this sequence is very fun. It is uh, pretty scary mm. for a minute. Um, the little, the, I mean, these kids, they don't, they barely know what the shit is going on. Yeah. But then the, the payoff is fun. It's also, it is interesting that this is, I assume, the same gambit that Junior was trying when he sent the two killers after Tony 
that because it would be blamed on, I guess, these black guys who were just, I guess, trying to steal Tony's car. Yeah. Um, that it wasn't going to come back to them. But here it works. Mm-hmm. Here the this family just thinks that they've been taken by these two uh, black guys who are going to, like, I don't know, sell the cars for parts or whatever. Yeah. And, but, so Tony, they get, they get the brunt of it. Tony gets the glory. And he's going to filter this into doing a better business deal than his uncle. Yep. So. And we learn in the next scene when he goes to the doctor's office that uh, this was Junior's car operation. So a little more of, we're still four episodes into season two. Junior lost the war in season one. And Tony is still mopping up new pieces of Junior's uh, business. And this car business was Junior's. They have a, I like the scene between Tony and Junior where they talk about he's never been to Italy. I felt really sad for Junior in that moment because oh. he's so old. The right. odd, Tony know. tries to tell him, he says, yeah, it's not over yet, meaning yeah. your life. Right, exactly. You know, but um, there uh, was a somberness. Did anyone else think that was cold comfort? Yeah. I mean, he leaves and Junior is sitting there. I was like, it is over, isn't it? Um, that's the thing. Even, Basically. Like, not even talking about his age and his health problems, he's also under... Yeah, where's he going? Legal indictment, yeah. you know, it's... Yeah. it's, it's yeah. Just a, but I like him talking about, you know, with pride, the you know, the, the old uh, times they would have on the Italian line, the food, the service, you kidding me? Uh, he tells Tony their contact over there, Z Vittorio, he's a serious man, Z Vittorio, we're building our expectations for Italy early. Vittorio, a name similar to Vito, is in Corleone, by the way. Nice little call out. Very, very true, yes. Funny line by Junior, I, I definitely took note of this line because it made me laugh. Hurts like the fucking pit in the pendulum just to wipe myself. <laughs> <laughs> really beautiful imagery, David Chase knocked that one out of the park. Yeah, very good. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, we get we go back home and... Meadow is kind of rubbing it in. Carm is clearly annoyed that a Italy trip is happening. Yep, and we're we're pushing the button on uh, Tony and Carmela's increasingly contentious relationship with each other. Their marriage maybe uh, on the rocks here. This episode really does a nice focus on that. This is the first scene that leans into that. Uh, there is reference to a prior trip to Bermuda that did not happen. Was it mm-hmm. Bermuda or Barbados? I think so. Some, some one of those. I'm sorry. Yeah, my, yeah. I apologize. I yeah, I don't remember. Down, it's okay. It's a uh, reference to a trip that they could have taken that Tony couldn't because it was I football it was season. Yeah. Uh, football season, and uh, you know, he, he just couldn't take the time off of quote unquote work. But um, talk about you know, cold comfort again. That Carmela didn't want to hear that. She she wants to go to Italy. Meadow and Meadow's really riding the button here. You know, I'm sure Mom would like a nice little interlude here. Yeah, she would. Yeah. She would love to go to Italy. Carmela loves Italy. She mm-hmm. would love to go, but she's not going to get to go. He insists it's a business trip. That purports to be true, but Tony will get up to some non-business-like things as well. And as we'll hear from the desires of Polly and Christopher later in the episode, they have time to go out and see the sights. Conceivably, he could have taken her along, but again, business trip. Yep. So, progressing forward here, we're going to get a little bit more of this stuff in Jersey before the boys fly over. Uh, The scene in the party store, I noted, is interesting. (laughs) So we're getting back, we're touching back on Pussy being a rat. Wasn't really touched on much in the last uh, episode or two. And he's talking with Skip. And one thing that's important to note, a very important detail here is revealed. Pussy is lying to Skip. Yeah. Very, very obvious. He tells him Ray Curdo is in charge of the um, car the operation. operation. Yep, and that operation. Tony and Junior yeah. haven't talked in months. Right. Uh, you know, so... None of which is correct. Y- correct. Yeah. He verified in the first scene with Tony that Tony is going to talk to Junior before they go to Italy. Yes. So so he knows, so we officially are getting it. So not only is Pussy a confirmed snitch, but we also now see that he is deliberately misleading the feds. Then we run into this interesting character who's going to return for a scene or who two. Who they named Jimmy. 
Yeah. You know, that, that name just kind of comes back to haunt you, doesn't it? It does. It really does. <laughs> Who uh, is Elvis-themed. Yes. He's an Elvis-themed character. Very interesting. I really love this scene because Pussy just wants to get away so bad. And <laughs> he's just, this guy is just kind of very friendly and jovial. Uh, I really love that moment when he's like, when he tells him he's from Delaware or uh dover yeah dover yeah and he's like uh, have i ever met any connected guys from dover or delaware the answer is no no i haven't <laughs> <laughs> a funny character yeah it, it, well it's an interesting way to make him distinct because as we find out in short order he's not long for this show or this world uh but uh interesting little moment here pussy gets spotted funny little thing i don't want to call it a a, a a flub or a blooper on the part of the show uh, because I don't think most people watching would know it, it would be able to notice it. But living in that area of North Jersey that the show is set in, Pussy does say to have a line to skip. You come all the way to the party store, still somebody's got to see you. That party store is, I mean, quite literally like a few hundred feet from the Bada Bing. I'm not even kidding. So, <laughs> really? That's very but just having having the geographical knowledge of North Jersey that I do. Um, right. But I guess the, the viewer doesn't know that. So right, right, right. Kind of so okay. that's why I don't I don't I don't discredit them for it, but I just think that's very funny. And then we get the scene in the in the restaurant, but does anybody have anything to say about Jimmy or this uh, party store scene or this pussy storyline? When we I mean the scene is very it's a kind of, pretty goofy scene it's funny in a lot of ways but it points to something dark that'll happen later on mm -hmm. and i also noticed i'm sure this is the first time that i ever noticed this detail and this is one of the things that sopranos is good at in the dialogue heavy aspect of it that big pussy is lying not just to the gangsters but to his fbi contact and it reminded me of this quote from one of my favorite novels mother night where one of the characters says the opportunity that is afforded a spy is to go mad in a way that they find irresistible. And Pussy is lying to everybody. Maybe because he has to, because he feels he has to, because he's because he is a spy. In some ways, in both scenarios, he's kind of torn. Um, so no wonder he's paranoid. No wonder he seems to... His reaction seems outsized compared to what actual threat this goofy guy would carry, mm -hmm. knowing loose information that doesn't add up to anything so i just thought it was very interesting um to see that because pat vincent pastore playing big pussy is going to do great work in this episode as will the actor who plays his wife and even though there's silly stuff here pussy is pussy is in a dark place here so i i just found that very effective Absolutely, Paul. And uh, speaking of Pussy and his situation, we then get the scene uh, in the restaurant. I, uh, another great scene. They're just rolling them out hit after hit. Uh, How fun is this scene? It's f fun on so many levels. We're going to really break it down because I just love it. Uh, but we have three very talented ladies, Edie Falco, Tony Kalem playing Angie, uh, who we're meeting uh, as a character for the first time. And Sharon Angela, very talented, plays Rosalie. They're having kind of a ladies' lunch at what might be Vesuvio. And uh, it's good that we got that scene with Pussy, because we're getting a sense of where he's at, and then we're going to kind of see the other end of it. But we, we get uh, what might end up winning my f favorite music cue of season two, Conte <laughs> Patiro, for the first time. It's a running thread throughout this episode, and it's used in very potent way by the end. Uh, we'll talk about that. But... This scene at the restaurant's great. Thoughts on this scene? Uh, there's a lot of humor 
it's touching, it's emotional, it's very well acted by Edie Falco, who's kind of, there's a lot going, it's funny because it's mostly Rosalie and Angie doing the talking, but this scene is really about Edie Falco absorbing Mm -hmm. this and taking Mm -hmm. it in, it's really smart writing, smart directing, thoughts on this? You know how compromised your life has become when the lunch conversation turns to, you know, Andrea Bocelli's blind, like, it's getting pretty you're hitting the dregs. Um, there, <laughs> Rosalie's line when Angie starts crying. Oh, Angie, geez, I'm sure he's adjusted to it. Oh my god, <laughs> so funny. Um, and, then, and then also when, like, I guess one of the neighboring tables must be looking at her crying. The fucking nosy, eat your money, got. Yeah, <laughs> Rosalie. And Rosalie's great. awesome. Yeah, she's. All, all these characters are great. They all do great work, as you said. I do think it is really about Carmela, and in that way, it's a very funny scene, but. The pain of these three women is interesting because of the ways they're almost like versions of each other. Rosalie has lost her husband. Right. Angie is in such a place where she's almost ready to welcome death, Um, Mm. not to mention that she feels her marriage is absolutely over. And Carmela, I think, is maybe starting to realize for the first time how this really reflects on her and her own frustrations. It's a nice Sopranos irony, of course, that Carmela is frustrated that her husband is distant and has gone on this trip without her. Uh, Angie is frustrated that her husband came home. Um, Mm. But I I agree that it points to Carmela. And even though the themes are serious, this, this, this whole scene has me on the floor. It's so funny. Yeah. uh, It's a terrific scene. It's absolutely Carmela's scene. I agree. Uh, Though the two other actors are doing tremendous, tremendous work. Um, I think she sees what could be her future. I, I agree with Paul. I mean, you have one who is already a widow Jackie is is dead. Um, he did die of cancer, but his you know his lifestyle and the manner in which he led his life was certainly in peril. For Angie Bompensero, I, I think Carmela can see her own dissatisfaction with her marriage reflected in the situation with Pussy, even though that situation is more extreme. Uh, Angie also brings up you know the the very real existence of of cancer and having um, you know. Your own life may be cut short, but more importantly, that the person you're choosing to share your life with doesn't even care, and how that makes you feel like that you're you're less than alive, it must make you feel like you're suffocating. Carmela is having a lot of thoughts about this, and what is what does her life mean? You know, Janice will bring this up later. Don't you kind of want more out of your own life? Yeah. It's, it's a moment of real reflection for Carmela, and it's only going to deepen as the episode goes on. I see sadness, I see fear in Carmela's face in, the, in those moments when... Angie is talking about, and this is a very important moment, uh, when Angie is talking about when Sal just disappeared, pussy yeah. just disappeared, and then came back and she heard his voice and felt like she wanted to throw up. And right, he says, I'm, wished, I'm home, and there was no joy. Yeah, almost wish, and then Rosalie finishes a sentence that he had died. Yeah. And there's that moment of recognition between Rosalie and Angie, and Carmela kind of looking at both of them like, oh my god, this is really there's something scary and familiar about it to Carmela, and it's a really powerful scene for, uh, in that regard. Yeah, we don't get a lot of opportunities, at least we haven't yet, to talk about what the obligations are of the mob wives, Yeah, you know, for the women that get involved with these men. We talked about a little bit in season one, early in season one, where we talked about that, you know, Carmela, in her way, has made a deal with the devil, right? She understands what's going to be involved in this life, but... In this episode, which is so intriguing, we finally get the idea, like, maybe she hadn't considered it all. You know, maybe she didn't read the fine print on that deal. Yeah. I want to come back to this story because it's going to go to some really uh, yeah. fun places. But uh, the boys get to Italy. We see them unpacking. We get the 
beautiful Andrea Bocelli music. They <laughs> yeah. land. Tony has a very funny line as they're kind of unpacking. Somebody needs to tell Artie is that mural he's got in his restaurant looks like a used Trojan <laughs> compared to this. I wrote that line down. Yeah, yeah. it's it's just really it gets me every time. Also nicely sets up the the kind of rude awakening that they're in for. Yeah. Because what they're saying is that this is the real deal, mm. right? Yep. Here oh, yeah, they keep it real, and this is the real view. And... Here they keep it real. That's a line Pauly says, right? Yeah, that's so funny. And by the time they're at the dinner, it's like, this is this is not going right. This is not <laughs> what we expected. Yeah. yeah. I, I... Ex- expectations are dashed almost instantly when they get into the hotel sure. first. You know, this whole trip has like the don't meet your heroes kind of vibe about it, where it's just like, wow, they had built up this idea of what Italy was in their minds. And it was just not that. And that's not just the people they meet. Like Tony has this this grand vision of going to meet Cheech, Don Cheech, right? Yeah. Uh, From Godfather 2. But when he goes, he's so obsessed with wanting to meet Vittorio that he doesn't even realize that the person he wants to meet doesn't even actually run the family. And he's actually very insulted. When he's told that Vittorio may not be at the meeting at all. Yeah. Uh, that he may not, in fact, get to meet with the, the boss of the family here. And just to talk about, if we can get into this starting now, I think, yeah. that just the aesthetics of what Italy is, right? As Italian-Americans, I've personally never been to Italy, by the way. I should say that before I, I, I say this. Go. I'm dying to go. Um, as Italian-Americans, I am taught, or I've been taught to like almost kind of worship what the idea of Italy is, right? It's the mother country. It is home. It's this idyllic, bucolic, you know, beautiful place uh, where every everywhere it looks like a painting. <laughs> and when they first arrive, it seems like that could be true, right? We see some nice, uh, you know, uh, uh, Naples architecture in the background, and you know, this is the comment about Vesuvio, of course. But for the most part, not for the whole episode, but for the most part, we see a very ugly Naples. Uh, these shots are not chosen in a way to beautify the city. If anything, they're chosen in a way to make it like a real place where a dream could not conceivably occur. Uh, there's a scene much later in the episode that we'll get to uh, where Tony is walking with Annalisa on the beach. And the beach is just small and it's littered and it's crowded. And, you know, she's walking with her shoes in her hands. And I'm thinking, like, this looks far worse than any American beach I can think of. Um, so there is this, yeah, this disillusionment, uh, which is a, a big part of the episode. Yep. So, yeah. And that, that starts right away, as soon as they arrive. As soon as they arrive at the hotel, they meet this guy, new character, Furio Junta. Yeah. Played by Federico Castelluccio. No spoilers, but the episode goes this way. We're going to be seeing a bit more of Furio as the day goes on and as, uh, the series goes on. Interesting moment here, too. Chris shakes hand with this guy, Tano, who is uh, kind of there with Furio, some kind of younger guy, maybe similar in age and status on the other side to Christopher, and he notices heroin tracks as he shakes his hand, and that kind of piques Christopher's interest. And then we... Uh... <laughs> sure does. Chris Chris talks exactly like I would... I've always encountered addicts, they talk this way. It's like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And then they go and get high, and they don't do fucking any of that. Yeah. Yes. And they, they okay. sober up and they say, now I'm going to do this, and this, and this. And then they get high again, and nothing happens. Right. He had two goals upon getting to Italy, right? He wanted to see the, the crater, yep. right? Uh, the remains of Mount Vesuvius, mm-hmm. right? And he wanted to go shopping, I think. He wanted to, to get buy a gift for Adriana a gift, and he accomplishes neither of those things on the trip. Nope. He just gets high a lot. When they're back in in Jersey later on, Chris is buying his gift at the duty free. Right. Because he, you know, he, it's it's amazing. If Tony weren't so preoccupied with his own journey in this episode, it might have been pretty easy to notice that, like, what the fuck is Chris doing? 
Right. But, you know, anyway, so we progress and we get this very fun mob wife telephone scene. I don't know how much <laughs> needs to be said about this, except it's very entertaining and very realistic to me. Well, because it's about divorce, yeah, right, which to them is, a huge, is a huge deal. This is like the thing you never do. You never divorce your mob husband because this this is a chink in the armor, right? This is like all the secrets that you naturally keep yeah. as a mob wife liability. could then be exposed if you were to get a divorce. Mm. And this could compromise everybody. So You think back to the scene in Goodfellas when Paulie tells Henry, you know, hey, when he's kicked out of home or he leaves home after the she points a gun at him, he's like, hey, you know, listen, you got to go back. So you, it's just you have to. It's not an option. Yeah. You know, divorce, divorce is a very bad thing in this culture. Yeah. Also, I guess the fact that they're gossiping, this is what I wrote down, the, the gossip being focused, of course, primarily on Angie and, and Big Pussy, the Bompanceros, points us away from that, again, this is actually about Carmela. She's other-focused, but mm -hmm. she's reflecting on this, and we, we will come back to her. I also thought, I, I'm pretty sure I caught this, seems deliberate, they said something about Fanny Altieri, mm. so I'm pretty sure that's Jimmy's Jimmy, widow Jimmy getting widow. mentioned here. Not yeah. a mistake. Yep. Again, we're coming back to what the consequences are of this life. Mm-hmm. And then we get this very fun, long dinner scene where the primary meat of the business is introduced. We are getting a sense of how this car operation works and what dysfunction is occurring. Uh, you're told early on, Vittorio's a serious man. This is Italy. This is the old country. We set all these expectations. And then they're slowly unraveled as this dinner goes on. Who's this fucking guy, Nino? He was in hiding from the police until a day ago. And this guy, Marazuka, is running the family, but he has a life sentence. And Victorio, we meet him. Very funny. Well, I want to get into that. But, yeah, this dinner scene. Paulie constantly interrupting Tony and the food. And a lot of talk about here in the dinner scene. Let's get into it. Yeah, well, first, language is so important because it's so limiting for Tony and mm. or Paulie in particular, but but really in that, you know, Tony is here ostensibly to make a business deal that involves communication. Yeah. He wants to know who he's talking to, and he needs to have this information relayed by Furio, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we can also say, as a blanket statement, the Italian-speaking characters have much better English than the English-speaking characters have Italian. Even mm -hmm. Tony, who actually seemed like he might be okay here, he does not really have conversational Italian. Mm -hmm. Not enough to get around. Uh, he can only pick up a little bit. But the other characters can pick up English a lot better, it seems. So you're behind this wall of language to start, where you're not even speaking the same language as everyone at the table. And then we're going to drop in that it is very unclear to Tony who he's supposed to be meeting with. Am I here? I'm here to meet with Don Vittorio. Why can't I get an audience with this man? Oh, they're being very, you know, shady about why you can't see him. As it turns out, it's because he has, you know, he's a very old man. He has some dementia going on. Uh, his mind is just not fit to, to run the family. Okay, so this guy Nino is kind of acting as the boss of this meeting. Yeah. But he's not even actually the acting boss of the family. The acting boss of the family is serving a life sentence, Marazuka. But then we come to find out it's not even that person who's the acting boss. So now we're behind four layers plus a language barrier. A lot of dysfunction. And it's actually Annalisa who runs the family. So it's no wonder that Tony is... Has kind of an attitude problem at the table. He feels insulted. They notice. And, uh, you know, if, if the deal were allowed to pass without him actually talking to Annalisa, it would go very poorly for him, I think. This is not, not a good business meeting by any stretch. And Paulie is not on his best behavior. Paulie has reverted to a <laughs> childlike state where he is so enamored with the location and the food. Hey, have you tried the octopus? Like, interrupting the very <laughs> important conversation that's being had. 
And also, Pauli's the subject of ridicule, right? Because yeah. this man that so badly wants to love Italy and to love the, the authentic Ita Italian culture is just basically spit upon, right, by these authentic Italians. He asks for, well, can I just get some, some spaghetti and, and regular yeah, yeah, yeah. red tomato sauce, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And they have a line in Italian. It's like, oh, man, we thought the Germans were classless fucking <laughs> idiots, right? Um, and then we have this guy. Um, and that actually makes me really sad because, yeah. I mean, obviously they don't know Polly as a character, so it's not their fault. But, like, Polly has come here to really try to love this place. Mm. And this place just spits at him the entire time he is there. Oh, he wants that idyllic italy experience yeah. so bad he pays a prostitute to talk about it i know but we'll get there it's rough. <laughs> yeah he it's also very... i mean another thing about paul he is looking for something i do feel for him on that score but also it's interesting he's gone to this foreign country again one of the things you'll find in italy is that pasta is not emphasized in mm. anything like the same way um it's a mid-level course at best he's also sticking his nose up at what i assume is squid ink spaghetti which i love yeah um, he's like no instead just bring me macaroni and gravy which i have every sunday in fucking <laughs> right um in yeah. belleville or yeah, whatever yeah. <laughs> right um, it's probably on their children's menu there or something yeah. like that yeah so yeah i mean the whole thing is humiliating the way that jordan you deconstructed the whole meeting is is great but also maybe a nice uh, little detail since we're gonna see a bit more furio in this episode and some more ongoing that we notice in the language barrier that Furio might be diplomatic in just the right moments. Yes. Yes. So he's learning about he's the dexterous one. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's the diplomat. Yep. We find out two things very quickly in this and in the next sequence. Furio is smart, diplomatic, and brutal. Mm. Very important qualities. And Tony's watching. We'll get to how he... I mean, he, he attempts to recruit Furio for himself, and that goes badly for him at first, but... Yeah, Furio doesn't translate exactly what Nino is saying when Nino is saying things that may not be necessarily flattering to Tony. And vice versa, yeah. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And then we get, of course, the entrance of Annalisa into this scene, uh, who's going to be our focal character for the episode. Very um, talented, very beautiful actress, too. If you yeah, like definitely meant to that. evoke Isabella, right? Mm -hmm. uh, images of Isabella from season one, right? Yes, this is like perfect Italian woman. Perfect dark-haired Italian woman. Sure. Yeah. Raises Tony's eyebrows as soon as she walks in to the extent that any viewer of this show would say, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so this is going to be a problem. And as it turns out, this woman that he is lusting after is, in fact, pretty much the acting boss of the family. So Very uh, unique arrangement. Yeah. Well, similar to Tony's in a way. He mentions that when they're in the scene where they're playing golf that, you know, Keith, if an old man carries respect to the troops, you keep him around. I got something like that going myself. That was interesting, course, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Referencing, of course, him and Junior, but they're also very different because woman boss never happened in the States, he tells her. Yeah. Uh, but this, uh, I, I just want to quickly mention... Furio mentions at one point that Nino is driven by insecurity. Oh, really? Not unlike Ju uh, yeah, our yeah, friend yeah. Uncle Junior, so I wondered if in part Annalisa is able to maneuver around these people because of the blind spots that they have and the dysfunction that they have. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have to mention Ziva Torrio's love for American street names. I think it's such a funny way to portray this character. I think something's wrong with his wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> he says, wheelchair boulevard. Um, and uh, that's a funny thing. Me and my dad, my, that's one thing my dad watch, uh, on our watch through The Sopranos cling, clung to is we still say to each other, Georgia, Washington, Bridge. <laughs> that's great. Great shit. Very funny. It's a funny little quirk. The character's, you know, has dementia or his mind is just not all there anymore. He's very elderly. 
And I just think that was a very funny quirk David Chase put in there for that. And uh, Paulie's line to close the scene is such a stupid, funny line. It makes me laugh. You give this guy a golf club up, I would try to fuck it. Yeah, um, I mean, it's um, such a cruel line, but it is funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, part of the disillusionment aspect actually occurs in this restaurant where uh, Paulie just tries to excuse himself to use the restroom. And their restroom is oh, uh, abhorrent. Disgusting. It's like completely disgusting. <laughs> and, um, you know, listen, I've eaten in plenty of restaurants in my time and, you know, having an unpleasant bathroom is a nasty part of a dining experience. You want these places to have beautiful restrooms. Mm-hmm. This is just one of the many things on the long list of like the show telling, telling us like, hey, there. this is like the real Italy. This is not like, um, yeah. you know, the, the idyllic perfect Italy. I'm sure there are many restaurants that have lovely bathrooms in Italy, but this was not one of them. Yeah. Okay, this does not right. meet their expectations. Well, I've been to Italy, it was a while ago when I was a teenager, but one of the things I noticed, not the every restaurant I went into had a bathroom that looked like this that looked kind of gross mm. but I will say that Italian people and Europeans I think in general do not approach their ablution in the same format as <laughs> Americans they don't need to like priss up every single one of these rooms really just the it, bathrooms are typically not that nice Is that what they're not as true? dressed up I they're, don't they're not even. dressed up in the same way Americans it's, are much visually and just kind of what's the amenities Americans are much more kind of uh prissy about their bathroom habits it's also not an accident that this one is particularly gross and that it's Polly who reacts to it because Polly is ocd yeah with this kind of stuff right he's very finicky so it was quite perfect and then the other line that's so funny when he tells tony that i have to hoof it back to the excelsior (laughs) i gotta take take a a wicked wicked shit shit. (laughs) (laughs) will you stop fucking interrupting me it's so great (laughs) we've been offered a ride that and then this gets us into that next scene very fun scene here outside the restaurant where they've been offered a ride. Paulie has to... I didn't have to go then. Very Again, very ch- childlike thing to say. We were talking about him kind of slipping back as a, viewing Italy as a little kid. And then somebody lights off firecrackers. And we are introduced to, as our episode is titled, the University of Naples. Yeah, Naples University right there. Just learning on the street exactly the way things are. Cop car drives by. Couldn't really give <laughs> a fuck what's just, happening. Nope. Um, I, yeah. I don't even know if it's a drive-by. I think I, I think like the cop car was like just sitting there and was like, oh, I don't want to see this. <laughs> Drove yeah. off. Mm. Um, they fucking punched. They fucking punched the mother. It's not just that yep. they give the kid who who let off the fireworks a beating. The mother was just wailing like, oh god, realizing what just happened. And Tony finds this Boom. very distasteful. Um, like he, he would have handled this in a totally different way. He's like, this kid just had firecrackers. It's just a kid. You don't need to do anything, you know? Yeah, I think it's, well, I think it's two things. I think one, he sees it as distasteful, not the way he would handle it. But then I also think there's a moment where he's like, God, you know, we could use some of that fucking discipline back home at the same time too. Cause like these guys yes. have it locked up. He's like, if we had it, this locked up back home, which I think is part, one of the many things he's seen about Furio that attracts him to want to bring Frio back. I don't think Tony would ever run his family that way where they'd punch a mother and beat the shit out of a kid just for lighting off fireworks across the street from Satriales. But I think part of him is like, I have a little bit of use for that brutality. Yep. And that you know, that old school attitude back home. Yeah. I think I had a similar gray reading of it, but I might be a little more bullish on it. I, I just suggest that even though you see that they're taken aback, Polly actually seems a little bit upset by it. He's like, the kid's got firecrackers, that's all. But they don't run their they don't they don't run their organized crime unit in America like this because they can't. Mm. Because the cops aren't looking the other way in precisely that same way. Yeah. And because the culture isn't like that. I do think there is a wish that you could not that you not that you want to slap every mother 
but that, <laughs> but that you have the carte blanche to do it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you get the sense that uh, this family in Italy is much more powerful than Tony's family in Jersey. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they literally run their neighborhood, like they run the area. You know, they don't just run some businesses and things. You know, it's an interesting thing, and this is you know, I'm not going to necessarily say that the mob is a positive thing to have. I'm glad that the mob is not as powerful as they once were. That's a good thing. But, you know, there is something to be said. You listen to old wise guys talk in interviews, and there was a certain safety in in the mob running a neighborhood. I mean, like, they could do whatever they wanted, and they would exploit businesses and beat the fuck out of people. But, like, no one else fucked with their neighborhoods. Like, you know, mothers weren't disrupted going to the stores. There weren't, like, random-ass street crimes that they weren't overseeing they protected their own neighborhoods and that's right. that vibe and that that's that so the, the i think the point is that vibe we had in the american mob in maybe like the 50s and 60s is happening here in naples absolutely well I, you know i i think that sentiment is shared by most people and most people that watch this show certainly uh yeah this scene bothered me a little bit i don't like they punched a mom i mean I'm, i wasn't into that you know. <laughs> oh. that'd be too far for me I, yeah you know, i was with paulie in that scene like, it's just a kid we get uh, this interesting set of sequences here. Tony and Carmela have a very kind of bland, tense, angry phone call. She's not impressed. She's clearly agitated. Uh, Tony has not much to say. It's been mostly business and a lot of fish. <laughs> and then that quick cuts into a very funny, like, less than three-second clip of Tony and Annalisa in, like, full ancient Rome get-up. Yeah. Caesar. He's just taking her from behind. And just absolutely go into town as a Roman soldier. <laughs> uh, and then... Uh, he we, says there's nothing going on, and it cuts to that Nothing going training. on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on. He definitely has... Something has awoken feelings in him. As usual. And then uh, we get Pussy sleeping on the couch, having a nightmare... He's sleeping on the couch. That's what I take from the scene, you know, is the most important thing that their their marriage is. They've clearly had some... She's not just bitching to the girlfriends. She's... There's tension in this house. He can't sleep in the same bed as her right now. Interesting, weird dialogue there. I'm going to put a rutabaga in your mouth, I think he says at one point during the nightmare. Yeah. Talking about Jimmy, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah he's, he's... Well, and we also see that Pussy is being tormented by... Um, the fact that he may have been exposed by this guy and it's, right. it's, yeah. it's bothering him. And then we get Chris passed out and or not feeling good. Paulie <laughs> yeah. kind of telling him, you know, we need to get up. You, you want to be made. This, this is no fucking way. And uh, Tony gets brought to this villa where Annalisa lives, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he's brought in. He tips the guy who brings him to his room. Again, shattering the expectations. There's loud American hip-hop playing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he tips the guy who doesn't even acknowledge it, just takes it and walks out. Tony has like a kind of like a fuck this guy kind of uh, gesture and um, looks out over the landscape. And then we are... And he's he's still, he's looking down, he is lusting after Annalisa, who is getting like a manicure and pedicure yes. uh, down below. And then very curiously, um, uh, we come to find out, has asked the woman to collect her toenail clippings mm-hmm. once the pedicure is finished, which is very strange. It's explained later. Yeah. But he is uh, lusting after her in that moment, you know, watching this attractive. He's eating a pear. Yeah, he's sitting there eating fruit, just like... Uh, <laughs> just watching her beautiful woman out there, legs exposed, feet exposed, hands exposed, just getting herself... Yeah, it's nice for him. He's fantasizing, you know, he's enjoying... Mm-hmm. This is the sight he came to see. Yes. You know, this is the authentic Italy it's for him. It's certainly the Italy that's grabbed his attention now. Um, 
And then we get this, as far as I'm concerned, A-plus scene between Carmela and Janice. Conte yeah, terrific. Par- yeah, Conte Partiro mm. comes back. Pulls back the curtain a lot more than the show usually does. Yeah. They usually play this a little closer to the vest, but they actually go ahead and go right into this meta-Freudian concept named by Janice uh, as the Madonna Horror Complex, mm. which actually governs a lot of this show. It's never mentioned quite like this, though Melfi has brought it up before. Not quite in that term. That's a specific to the profession term. I'm wondering where Janice picked it up. Maybe she spent some time in therapy. I don't know. Um, but that's interesting. But that is this belief that, uh, you know, that Italian men specifically only see women in two ways. They are either saintly Madonnas or they are whores. They are prostitutes to be used for sex. And if you have your wife as the Madonna that you kind of no longer sexually desire her in that way. And the girls that you seek for sex are going to be these whorish prostitute types. And Janice does not... I, I, I don't know. Maybe she knows exactly how right she is in that scene. I don't know. But she is trying to strike every one of Carmela's nerves in this scene. Yeah. She does a good job of it. She sure does. And they're both talking about something that they're not talking about. That's that's what makes it such an interesting little scene. Oh, here. pretending to be talking about the Bombaceros and not the Sopranos. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, Janice. Again, we talked about this in our last episode. Janice is frustrating because she is a hypocrite, but she's not wrong here either. That's the right. You know, she lays it out for Carmela, and I feel for her in this moment. And then, of course, Carmela has the best response. She's you know that a woman of your intelligence is willing to ask so little from life. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's sad and it's true, and yet Carmela comes back with the only thing she can come back with, with you fanning the frames with Richie April of all people. Yeah, and she laughs herself out of that scene. Yeah, yeah, which, again, both of these women are right but wrong, and it's complex and it's beautiful and it's just a mess of emotions and it's a beautiful dance of words and space on screen. It's really good. Carmela says, and I wrote this I wrote this quote down because I was just like, is this the core of her character? Is this as close to religion as Carmela is now after mm-hmm. her whole breakdown with Father Phil? She says, marriage is a holy sacrament and family mm-hmm. is a sacred institution. I, th- I think Carmela really believes those things. Mm-hmm. I think she really lives her whole life trying so hard to uphold those. But now this episode, we're really seeing the erosion of her just trying to hold those things together despite Angie, despite Janice, despite Tony's behavior. You know, it's yep. hard. It's getting get harder. That great lingering shot on her as she's leaving the room where we see that what Janice has said is affecting her. Yeah. And it's going to drive her action for the rest of this episode. It's just good. It's good drama. It's good writing, good acting. The, that deconstruction, guys, was really great. The, the, uh, it is a great scene. I think the only thing I could add about that scene and the storyline in general is that a lot of this, as you guys have mentioned, is Carmela almost like a backboard for a lot of the other characters who are doing a lot of the talking. But Carmela, the story is really about her. Edie Falco has to make the story happen in many ways with short lines, with her body, with her face. Mm-hmm. She crushes it. Yeah. I knew exactly where she was this whole time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Every beat. And in the in, in this scene, when she says to Janice at the end, Janice, I gotta love you. It was a great yeah. bit. It was a nice own. Jan's stupid face was a great payoff. But then when she walks away, we know that this is really about Carmela and mm-hmm. what she's going through. Edie Falco has to do that. And she does it just 10 out of 10 every time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a master. We get the scene with the golf clubs. We talked a little bit about some of the things between Tony and Annalisa already, uh, but 
you know, the scene is dripping with tension. He's blatantly staring at her ass. We get a point of view shot. <laughs> what of an ass, by the way. It's, it's, if it's, you don't mind my saying. Uh, Good lord. She's a beautiful woman. Beautiful There's woman. no denying this is a gorgeous woman. Great body. Great actress. And she, uh, they're playing golf, and it's Tony's just kind of a little, I'll be dipped in shit. He just can't believe that he's playing golf with a woman, the woman boss. It's it's just it's totally foreign to him. Another subversion of expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she mentions that, you know, men are in love to their mamas, uh, as she, you know, it comes natural, which is not, you know, Tony's relationship with his mother is anything but natural at this point. <laughs> but but it was, on, yeah. right, it was, it was natural for him once. Yes. And it will become natural again, because I think it's always what he's looking for. Yep. And he bucks in this episode, but... I think at one point, like later on, he's looking down at her from the balcony again, and she just gives him a look mm. after he says that he doesn't want to talk to her anymore. Yeah. She just like puts her hand on her hip and looks up at him, and he says, I'll be right down. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yep. She makes a good acknowledgement in this scene about, you know, why she's good as a woman boss. Uh, you know, the men, the men, they kill each other, mm. right? They're in Naples. They're at war with Rome. Yeah. They mentioned in this episode, and all her brothers are either dead Or they are in jail. But as a woman, she's afforded a certain protection Mm. in that. And I thought that was really smart. Yep. Great scene. And uh, we find out after they have lunch that she's superstitious and she saves her toenail clippings. This is, again, Tony almost kind of thinks she's joking. And then that last line of the scene is, nobody gets them. I burn them. Mm. Another completely different cultural thing. She's not kidding. She believes that. Sure. That she, you know, great. I like the symbolic significance there. You know, uh, Tony could Tony could learn a thing or two from her in more mm. ways than one. Uh, he leaves himself too exposed. There are too many pieces of, of Tony that are, are vulnerable. You know, you acknowledged in an earlier episode, watching the show with your father, you kind of said, Tony shouldn't be going down to get the paper at the end of his driveway. That's a very vulnerable moment for him. Yeah. But uh, in, in any of his relationships, you know, he once acknowledged, I think in a scene with Hesh earlier in the season, he says, you know, the way you got to run a family now, you got to uh, run it from a bunker, yeah. right? And just peek out through the slit, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, Tony doesn't do that. Tony's a very energetic leader, does a lot of things himself that he mm-hmm. probably shouldn't. Yep. He could learn a lot of things from Annalisa. Stay back. Let the pawns go first. Yeah. You know, be behind a few more layers. He had the right idea with Junior in season one. He needs to get back to a situation like that. Yeah, 100%. I agree fully. We get this very fun scene next with Paulie. Again, trying to have another... He wants to have that great Italian cafe experience. Yeah. And none of these shots we're seeing are stuff that's like beautiful Italy scenery. It's beautiful in the sense that it's real. And it's as a as a set piece. It's fun. This fucking butchered pig. These windows. <laughs> these dirty windows. And and um, just this kind of landscape. And then we get a very fun David Chase cameo. The guy he says commendatore to, and then look kind of looks doesn't acknowledge him. That's David Chase. Okay. So nice. for those of you who've never seen him, that's David Chase sitting there and calls him a cocksucker and keeps sipping his espresso. <laughs> he wants so badly to connect with somebody here, and it's just not happening. David for him. Chase using his signature scowl. Yeah, that's like it's kind of just the look on his face. Yeah, that's that's him when he's like happy. That's that's yeah. <laughs> I love David. Chase. Both Chris and Paulie, I guess, in their own ways, kind of get seduced by distractions, mm-hmm. chasing the dragon in the one sense, and chasing like I don't know this dream of Italy. I will say for Tony to Tony's credit, flawed though he may be, he does good business wise, and he resists mm-hmm. a pretty powerful temptation 
We'll get yeah. to the scene at the car in the end. But yeah. um, it, it is interesting that the two underlings go off. The, their storylines literally just sort of thread out and go nowhere. Yeah. Tony, at least, is engaged in this business process. Yeah, yeah. And he does a nice, you know, he's negotiating with her on the beach. We talked about this beach, you know. Uh, this, not the, a nice this, beach. No, it's not. Not like the um, idyllic Italian beach. Very ugly. Yeah, it's cluttered. It's cluster, It's It feels claustrophobic in a way. And he's not, and, and it's a good setting for a scene where nobody goes anywhere because they kind of hit, hit an impasse. He wants Furio. He's not willing to pay her extra money. In fact, he's just like, yeah, you just get the advantage of having a guy over there. And she's not having it. She's like, fuck that. No, you, you have to fucking deal with me. And he, you know, because Tony very condescendingly says, I want you to talk to your husband about this. And she's like, nope. Nope. You're not getting this deal without me, pal. It's good. It's good. St- it's good shit. And, you know, um, do I think there are characters that treat women much worse than Tony on The, Soprano- on the Sopranos? Yes. But I also think Tony is not ready to... I think he's expecting more give from her because she's a woman i don't think he's willing to you know i don't know that he would be oh you don't think he would have stonewalled a man like this oh i I have no doubt that tony is capable or would stonewall a man but i think i don't think he expected her not to work with him i think i think this is something tony might expect from someone like a johnny sack or, or or of that stature johnny sack's a little more pragmatic but somebody who uh is he's in business with i think he would expect someone to stonewall but i think he really is taken aback by Annalisa saying no here. Yeah. And I think in part because she's a woman, it probably doesn't even occur to Tony to do the thing that the I, I would agree the smart thing that Jordan suggested. Mm-hmm. Take a cue from her leadership. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we get this awful scene. It just, I feel so gross every time I watch it. I feel terrible for Angie when she gets the oh, negative yeah. biopsy results and pussies on his way out to go kill Jimmy. Yeah, terrible. He doesn't even look at her. Yeah, good. See you later. Awful. Yeah, I feel it. And I I think I I let out an audible scoff when Lily and I were were watching that the other day. It was just like, oh, terrible. Um, Yeah, could you fucking imagine? Like, Jesus. Yeah, you you feel for her. She's not at all in the wrong for wanting out of this and and hating him and being this angry at him. Mm -hmm. You know, I am not to the level Carmela is, but I am a believer in fight for your marriage, if at all possible. And... You know, really try to make it work with each other, but I, I fight for there. Yeah, this yeah. is that's beyond repair to me at, at this point, which is going to make the next scene with her very interesting. But we see uh, Chris high with Tano. This is like the second or third time now. We just see him laid out, zoning out in a total haze. Looks dead. Yeah, it might as well be, frankly. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> then we get a shot of an Elvis bust. We know immediately where we are. <laughs> And uh, brutal, brutal hammer murder here by Pussy. Uh, he closes the loop on this. It's uh, it's a shame this Jimmy character couldn't stick around a little longer. He was uh, funny, but what are you going to do? Some Someone's got to die. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, memorable, brutal murmur, uh, murder here. And then um, Tony's basically kind of gearing up to, to leave. He thinks this was an unsuccessful trip. He uh, asks Furio, you know, what's it like working for a woman boss? You know, he has, he, we know he has his eye on Furio, so he makes sense. Maybe he gets in Furio's ear, kind of playing to that, you know. And then he says, in America, you know, have. You know. But 
anyway, I like Furio, what we've seen of him so far. And then she, uh, as you said, Paul, she kind of just gestures, gets him to stay for one more meal. I love the line, what the lunch we had with Jam a Wood Chipper. Is that all you people do? And uh, then we kind of come back to America and Pussy brought home some flowers, murders a man with a ball-peen hammer, presumably changes his clothes somewhere, and then brings back some roses and she just fucking wails at him with them. And he's got scratches on his face and... His look after is like kind of like, all right, I guess I had that coming. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah, she's had it. Yeah. And uh, then we see Carm and Angie. This is a great scene, and uh, she gives a couple of really great lines. Uh, you know, when Carmela brings up the Catholic thing, let the Pope live with him. She says, uh, and then the fact that you know she's not getting it till Tuesday. And Carmel's like, oh, you're taking Monday to think. No, Monday's a Jewish holiday. I'm done. Done thinking. Had to pause the episode. I laughed so hard. Yeah. And Angie, just that delivery was so great. Yeah. Great scene here. Carmela's really fighting. She's just grasping at straws. Think of your children. Your son is, a, I don't know, a sophomore in college. All the children are grown. They're like yeah. 19 in their early 20s. One's already married off. It's like... Oh, God. You know, Carmela is, like, clearly, obviously, it's a surrogate thing. She's fighting for her own marriage and her Angie, own opinion of marriage. Yeah. Angie kind of says probably what a lot of us are thinking, right? Why are you working so yeah. hard, Carmela? Yeah. If Carmela wasn't so sympathetic because we know she's fighting for herself, she would almost appear gross to me in this scene because it's like, Angie should probably divorce Pussy. This is a terrible marriage, a terrible situation. He's awful to her. But... We also feel for Carmela because she's fighting so hard to justify her own life. This is everything to her. Yeah. Her, her whole life with Tony is wrapped up in this. And if it's sort of like, it's almost as if that might be the bottom dropping out. As if Angie divorces Pussy, well, why would I stay with Tony? And, right, you know, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's why Angie staying with Pussy is so important to her because it, it validates her. Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. These ladies, these ladies act the shit out of that scene. Really funny lines, and then um, <laughs> then we get a couple very funny Polly sequences. And this is, I believe, uh, kind of wrapping up Polly's adventure in Italy. Uh, he's walking by the water. He says commendatory. He tries the commendatory thing to one more guy, <laughs> and we laughed about this in our pre-chat. Uh, you know. Are you from NATO? You cut our <laughs> ski lifts. <laughs> Which is a real thing that happened. What was that? Yep. I think, yes, it was. A, this episode probably is filmed in 99, airs in 2000. In 1998, sadly, there was a, an accident where a couple of NATO aircraft were buzzing, obviously, too close to the ground. Um, still thousands of feet up, but too close. And they cut a ski lift at a ski slope in Italy, and 20 people died. Jesus. It's a terrible thing. Um, here it is like darkly humorous that this guy thinks Polly is from NATO. <laughs> um, but and of course Polly is. This is all going right over his head. He's I'm from America. Hey, yeah. I'll see you later. You know it's yeah, so yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, evoking more Godfather Two imagery. I can't be the only one who thought of uh, who thought of uh, Al Neri on the boat at the end of Godfather Two. That one shot they had of a guy on a boat in the water. It's just you just kind of see a silhouette as Paul as Polly's looking out. It's not a very happy uplifting or 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 like good feeling moment in godfather 2 and i just love that in the beginning scene of the episode they're talking about the beautiful scenes we see and then the the don Cheech's villa and the beauty of godfather 2 
And then Paulie at the end of this journey is staring out at a visual representation of one of the uglier moments of that movie right before Fredo gets killed. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Really good work if that was deliberate, and I feel like it had to be. Yeah, well, and that moment is in fact acknowledged towards the uh, earlier part of the episode. So yeah. Yep. So we find Paulie in, at his most pathetic in a, <laughs> he's paid a prostitute. He's, he's fucked her. And she's washing her in very, again, not elegant fashion. She's in the bathroom just washing her area. And Polly is, like, commenting about the fruit. She's not responding. Who says you're not a good conversationalist? Fucking twat. <laughs> and then they, he, he just makes her stay as she's getting ready to leave so he can have this conversation that he was hoping to have at the cafe, that he was hoping to have by the water, and just never got to. It was just, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I feel for him. This woman could not be less interested. We find out that the prostitute is from the same town, or really just the same part of Naples that Polly's ancestry, Polly's uh, ancestors were from. I hesitate to use the word ancestors just a yeah, few yeah. generations back. Ariano Ipino. Si. Ariano Ipino. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, her reaction could not be less what he wants. He yes. wants some kind of like soulmate co- like, connection. Oh my god. Yeah. Some kind of like blood connection to the land. But she's so dismissive. She's like, yeah, it's over there. Yeah, it's right there. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, she's like scratching her foot. She won't even look at him. It's it's right. Yeah. It's um. It's not the sexiest scene ever filmed. For no, sure not. You know that, yeah. Oh, but I feel for Polly here. And Polly's definitely a psychopath in his own right, <laughs> but you, you gotta feel for the guy here. He wants to connect so badly, and it's just not happening. And then we get uh, this the conclusion to this here. We're at the Sybil's Cave, and we reach our resolution with Tony and uh, and Elisa. Uh, well, so, first, well, first there's a scene back at Zivatorio's home. Uh, where they're kind of having that dinner, and he almost kind of makes a move. He touches her knee, and she has, gets distracted by the kids and gets up. So we know that there's sexual tension. Something almost might have happened there. And then we get to the Sybil Cave a little bit after the Pauly sequence. But here we are. We're at our conclusion. This is our only place of authentic beauty in the episode. Like, I, I made note of that yeah. when I was watching, and I was like, okay, this is this is beautiful. They're looking out over the water. The caves are very beautiful. There's a This is a place of authenticity and a place of power. He says he wants to bring the kids back, and I believe him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so we learned from Annalisa that, you know, similar to the oracle at Delphi in the Greek culture, uh, this, uh, this other oracle at uh, Sybil's Cave, uh, similarly, a, a beautiful woman would kind of tell people about their future here. Yeah. Right? That, that is the significant thing. And here's Tony, here's a beautiful woman in a business deal that affects their future. Mm-hmm. Right? And the sexual tension has never been higher than in this moment, but also it is the moment in which they have to resolve the business deal. Yep. Um, so this is kind of what the whole episode has been driven towards. Mm-hmm. And shock of my life, right? Tony is kind of offered a moment where he could pursue. Yeah. Right? She acknowledges, you want to fuck me, right? You want to you have sex with me. And he admits that he does. Yeah. But that he shouldn't because he does not want to shit where he eats. Yep. A phrase that he's able to speak in Italian yeah. in a way that she understands. Uh, she finds that very distasteful, but I think also she's disappointed that maybe he didn't want to pursue that. Mm. So he comes away with the business deal, but not the woman. Yeah. Which disappoints him. Yeah. And I guess it works in a, a good way for both of them, right? In a good business deal, they say you both should walk away, perhaps a little disappointed, right, for having compromised, right? Yeah. He went a little low on the cars, but he got Furio out of it, but also neither of them had sex. So it's not really a great arrangement for either. Yeah. 
but interesting. Oh, and he really wanted to. You know, really wanted to. Obviously, he was fantasizing about it, and then we get the sexually frustrated stress ball when they're back in Jersey, and his Tony's just generally crabby. He just needs to, you could just tell that that's a man, uh, to put it blunt, I'm sorry for the crude language here, folks. That's a man who just needs to fuck something at that point. He's, right. He's just very frustrated, even well, though business went very well. Well, good luck with Carmella. Uh, when you get home. Uh, again, a character frustrated in yeah. another, just another way. Uh, I agree. That this is a cool last sequence. I do think it's very interesting that Tony has this again different kind of moment where he forgoes this offer. Um, not easy, but probably a smart thing to do. And both of these actors do a very good job in these mm-hmm. two last sequences. I yeah. actually think, in particular, I love the acting when they're having a drink by the the table where they've had the outdoor meal. Yeah. And they're getting a little flirty and there's that tension there. I also like this last scene a lot. I guess another letdown is that the the oracle that she gives him is cliched. Mm. Um, you're your own worst enemy and he says, Well, <laughs> you know, everybody's their own worst enemy. Um and that'll but and that she reminds him of Melfi too, I like that. That's another important I love this aspect of the last couple episodes that we're just getting these bits. Like mm-hmm. Melfi had a short sequence of scenes in the last episode and here she's just not Men- mentioned yeah. but referenced yeah um because she's still on his mind so i liked that too and yeah this this wrapped it this wrapped it up nicely um this was the one place as you said that had some kind of beauty or a connection to a past or a mythology which was nice to see at the end of the episode mm. There's also this, um, I hesitate to even call it a reference, it's a reading, where she talks about, you know, oh, the, the Greeks were here, and before them, other people were here, and before them, other people were here. That's actually a really good thing to hear, because we have these three guys, and they're in Italy, and they're hoping to have this, like, authentic experience, this authentic Italian experience, and the wisdom that the Oracle gives, which maybe she didn't even intend for it to seem that wise, but it's a good lie, and it's just kind of like... These places don't belong to anyone. People come here and they live here for a while, and then other people come and they live here for a while, and then more people come after that. And, you know, you don't owe anything to this place. Mm. Uh, it is what you make of it. You know, you come here, you live for a time, you take something away. Uh, I thought that was better. That's a better commentary on the ancient world than worshipping it. 100%. And that is also a very very and of course he wrote this david chase philosophy and it's it's drips throughout other moments of this show too as we as we progress but yeah absolutely and nothing expresses that to me more than paulie's fucking grin in the car when he's looking at the <laughs> beautifully gross north jersey landscape that i see daily he's here. so happy to be home he's just so thrilled to be in back in his element yeah. he's had it even though he even though he does take the moment to keep the myth alive and lie to Puss about what a great experience it was. He had a miserable experience. But he has to he can't disrespect Mother Italy, you know. Men are in love to their mamas. This comes natural. That's it. And uh yeah, and then we get this one of the reason why I would put Conte Patiro as one of the best music cues maybe in this season, possibly the whole show, is without dialogue. Without mentioning anything, you know, you're just kind of brought back to the Carmela's journey through this episode. When that song is playing, Tony comes home, he says, I'm home. And we just get this shot of Carmela, and she just looks absolutely ill. Yeah, well, that she he, suddenly has Angie and Rosalie's experience. Yeah. Yep, and she feels that for the first time. And it's just such an upsetting, uncomfortable 
sad moment, but it's fucking, it hits like a, it hits like a sack of bricks right in the gut. It ends exactly, it, it gives you the feeling, the, the exact feeling they want you to have from it. It's great. I love it. Any thoughts on this? And summarily, any thoughts uh, left on Commendatory before we uh, wrap this up? That that ending sequence is great. As you said, it, I think it reflects how good the writing is on the show that you don't need much in the way of dialogue. You don't need an explanation. Uh, Tony comes in, there's that high, stupid shot. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm a fucking idiot just looking down at him. And then Carmela taking a breath and getting back at it. And I love that she starts to walk Yeah. as the episode cuts out. Because we're still in it, and we're going to move forward with these characters. We're not done with Carmela's frustration, yeah. dissatisfaction, or Tony's lies in his life. So we're going to keep going. It's got this dynamism to it. Yeah, I felt it was a, a interesting, energetic ending. It was sad in a way, but I also felt like there was a propulsion, like we're keeping going. So that's how I felt about it. I keep coming back to the car at the airport at the end of the episode as being one of my just favorite moments in the episode. Just a nice reflection, nice piece in summary. Chris went to Italy to visit, you know, the ruins of Vesuvius and to buy something nice for Adriana. He did none of those things. He's at the duty-free buying her a gift now, so he's a liar. Paulie went to Italy to reconnect with the mother country to have an authentically Italian experience. And he tells Pussy when he gets in the car, oh, you gotta go. You just gotta go when you can. But really... Paulie didn't have any kind of authentic experience in Italy. It was disappointing. It was isolating. He felt lonely and had a hard time connecting with anyone. He couldn't really do any of the things that he liked to do when he was there. But he upholds the lie or the myth about the Italian, the authentically Italian experience of Italy. Tony went to Italy to make a business deal. Uh, hopefully a really nice, successful one. He also met a beautiful woman while he was there. He did not really get to meaningfully be with the beautiful woman. And he did not make a brilliant business deal. He made probably a below average business deal. Did he receive double the price on those cars? No, he got less, way less than what he asked for. He is coming home with Furio and that's great, but he's clearly frustrated. He's unhappy. And Paulie has picked them up and he's a liar too. So we have four guys in that car all lying about their experiences home and abroad. And that's what they learned at Naples University, right? Was just that, you know, Naples is not all it's cracked up to be. The past maybe should stay in the past, that the ancient world did not have any wisdom for them, other than that they take away whatever they want to take away from it. Life goes on. Amen. Well said, guys. I had fun doing this. Commendatory. Great episode. Great chapter of The Sopranos. And uh, we're cooking, man. Season 2 is in. We're live. Season 2 is live and happening. We're back in Jersey next time with a great episode. I'm very excited to talk about one storyline in particular that just tickles me as an actor. I can't wait to get into it. But it, uh, we'll be back for next time. The in, in the first of, I think, a few Sopranos episodes titled after Frankie Valley songs, Big Girls Don't Cry. Until then, I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And this is the Sopranos Podcast. Hit that subscribe button, baby. Share us. Hit us up on social media. And if you don't want to leave a five-star review for any reason, hit us up. Let us know why it's not five stars, and we're going to make it five stars for you. But thank you all for joining us. Audio Sunday Dinner coming at you every two weeks. We'll see you next time. I got myself a girl.